everybody. Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and Charles William Carpenter III, as always. Today we have a special guest with us, Melanie Sumner. Hi. Hey, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, Melanie is super active in lots of different things. You may have seen her around the Ember community. Uh, she's on the Ember core team, does a ton of accessibility stuff or A11Y, whatever your flavor is there. Is that actually shorter to say? Like, I guess to type it's shorter. Right. Yeah. The typing. It's not shorter to say, but it's good for hashtags. Right. True. And fun fact, Melanie is my only sponsor on GitHub. <laughs> oh, you should get more sponsors. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not going to pay him any money. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> it's my philosophy to at least buy a coffee for people who work on open source projects that I use. I think if we all did that, the world would be a better place. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. Do we think that... Uh, that much effort might have saved Faker JS. <laughs> Talk a little about that catastrophe. Could have. Yeah. 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 We could dive right in and go there. He was really more mad at Microsoft, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can go anywhere. We should probably pour a little whiskey as part of that, though. True, true. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. All right. We don't follow many rules here, but start with whiskey is one of them. Yeah. We forget right. that sometimes and are like 10 minutes in and haven't had whiskey yet. I have been waiting to open this bottle. And it's hard to be good when you really want to try it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Chuck is usually just not good. Chuck just tries like half the bottle before the episode. No one knows the difference. It's audio. So I'd actually been to this. It uh, was not a distillery, but because they source all their stuff. But I've been to the place in D.C. early on when I used to live there. And uh, I just learned today in Googling that they're in Michigan now. Oh, I could go visit them. Yeah, so Joseph A. Magnus was from Cincinnati originally, which or like that's where he established the distillery and the Murray Hill Club brand, which I'm from that area. All kinds of fun facts. Mm. Well, it's fiery. Oh, I need to drop a water for this. <laughs> Hopefully, not like fiery in like a fireball kind of way. Mm -mm. No. Yeah, it does does have a good bit of uh, kick to it. What proof is this? One hundred three. 103. Do we all have the same one? Because, um, Mal, I think you got yours from Binnie's, which sometimes they do like these picks and all that fun stuff. It looks the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did it right. Perfect. Yeah. We often go astray in that just because we're in different places having to try to get the same things. Yeah. The bottle is pretty. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, talking a little about this whiskey. So, Joseph A. Magnus Company brand, Murray Hill Club, is the offering that we picked up and this one is a blend of three different whiskeys so 18 and 11 year old bourbons mixed with a nine-year-old light whiskey and i read a few different things and where they're like finished in different kind of barrels sometimes like cognac and some other stuff so, sounds pretty interesting so with all those different whiskeys you get no mash bill specific this whole made in pre-prohibition style couldn't figure that out the best guess they have on their site is their story is the like great great grandchild discovered a stash of 122 year old Murray Hill and then had like extracted some and broke that down and then tried to like replicate that. So it's in a style that was created pre prohibition, hmm. like a lost recipe. Oh, neat. Interesting. 
So mine feels mild. Maybe this is just me, but mm. mine is mine is not burning. I mean, it depends what you compare it to, but it's it's a little burnier than some. Mm-hmm. It's very good though. Yeah, it's got a nice uh, flavor at the end. There's some caramel, vanilla, something mm. at the end. That's a nice finish. Yeah, I was trying to figure that. I was like, am I going to go butterscotch or caramel? I think caramel. Yeah, I, I think caramel. I'm with you on that. This is pretty good. Yeah. And we can only speculate what's actually in it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots of things. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it tastes to me almost like there's some kind of wood or something that was used for something else. Maybe before whiskey, like it has a little bit of a finish that's different than your typical just plain oak. Yeah. And I think they're aging or at least finishing it in used barrels. So there's probably some of that. I get like a mm. leafy kind of smell. Leafy. Maybe I have allergies, which I do. Leafy. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I make these things up every episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> it could be that. Yeah. This is the only area on this podcast where I have any kind of expertise. So I just try mm. to enforce it where I can. What's your favorite? Hmm. It tends to change a lot. So I don't know. I've got things that are like easy to pick up. Like I like just Buffalo Trace. I think that's easy to get and pretty good and consistent. Goes with the seasons, I think. Um, not a big scotch person. We had one recently that was an like American malted whiskey that kind of tasted like a stout to me. Huh. And so like those kind of heavy flavors. That's kind of cool. I don't really jazz with. Yeah. I don't know. I'm starting to like really align with Robbie and liking the Sagamore, the Sagamore rye. It's like consistent, mm-hmm. fairly priced. I can't believe I'm saying that about like a Baltimore spirit, but <laughs> I like it. Rye's always surprised me. I don't know what it is. Like I'm a scotch drinker and the older, the better. Honestly, I'm kind of a stomach. Like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But rye's always just kind of surprised me. I'm like, oh, this is really good. What is it? And Oh, it's a rye. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding my taste to lean more that way these days. And the sweetness of bourbon is good. It's, you know, it's still good, but I don't know. I, I think I like the, the spicy a bit more. Yeah. All right. Are we prepared to rate? Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to an episode, we do a yeah. out of eight tentacles scale. So we, let's see, I would give this, I think, like a six. For a bourbon, it's nice and spicy and not too sweet, and I like it. Yeah, the blends are working for me. I'm, I don't know, I'm feeling a seven. I like it. Mm. Definitely get it again. I'm pretty surprised because it's all sourced from Indiana um, with their recipes or whatever, but still, it's interesting. It's good. I'm somewhere 6.2, 6.5-ish <laughs> in there. Very exact. Yeah. Yes. You could do the... Uh, was that old show where it's like three and a quarter stars, <laughs> six and a quarter tentacles. Yeah. Also, for the record, when Chris Manson was on the show, he gave his whiskey way too high a score. Mm. I love you, Chris, but that was way too high a score. <laughs> I'm drawing some shade. Did you try it afterwards? And then No, I know it because I've tried it before. Mm. And mm. I was just like, no, honey, that's not what that gets. That's not the right grade. <laughs> I can't wait till he hears this. <laughs> yeah. He's actually going to be on tomorrow. Oh, well, great. Again. Good. <laughs> so we'll tell him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That is tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. There's going to be. Well, we won't give away too much. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. Keep his surprises. Yeah. There we go. But tune in for more. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same octo time. <laughs> All right. So Robbie wants to play a game. He's really started to get into this. It's fun to start with a game. Sure. Okay. Yeah. He likes to yeah. start adding a game to our format. So why not? Right. I'm bad at them. That's why not. But uh, <laughs> we'll try it anyway. Well, there's no winners on this. <laughs> so this is a web dev. Would you rather? So it's just kind of like, you know, pick what you like better. But I do have one of the questions is with Chuck in mind. So I'll, I'll ask Chuck this one. <laughs> Perfect. I'm already reading it and I already have my answer. So, yeah. Would you rather write only CSS forever or get to use whatever tools you want, but have to code on a five inch screen? I mean, you already know the answer to this. And I have like one of those seven inch like Raspberry Pi touch screens. I would rather work on that. You can write YAML on that just fine. And that's all I'll do. No. CSS forever. <laughs> okay. I'm working on an ultra wide right now and I'm not sure I have enough real estate. <laughs> you know what it is? I'm getting older, right? And I have to zoom in on things all the time because everyone writes their websites in like 12 size, 12 pixel font sizes. And what is that? And then they do like gray on light gray. So I really can't see it. And I'm always zooming in. So like that small of a screen would just drive me bonkers. Yeah. I mean, I'm infamous for my text size on my monitor. Every time I screen share, people are like, what is going on? How blind are you? And I'm like, very <laughs> Very blunt. So it's fine. So I feel you there. But I don't know. Given I just I don't like CSS. I don't want to write it forever. So with that in mind, you would only be able to see a couple lines of your code at a time. It's fine. On the time. Scroll slowly. Yeah. Basically, if I can just code on like an old Nokia phone or something, that that's fine. As long as it's not CSS. I love CSS. I am jealous of people who get to write only CSS for a living. Not SAS. I hate mixins, mm -hmm. but just like straight up CSS. Yeah, I don't mind CSS. Yeah, it's like an old friend. So this June will be 25 years since I started writing code for the web. And CSS is just like my oldest friend. That's I started by trying to change the styles for a blogger blog. Like that's what got me into it. So <laughs> I would totally do that. Fair. So let's see, here's another one. Would you rather have to have 100% code coverage on all code you write or never be allowed to write any tests? Oh, that's a mean question. <laughs> it is. That's pretty rough. I mean, both are death traps of hell. Both are ensuring that I fail. <laughs> yeah. I could try to test, quote unquote, my code with an app. Like a separate app. Oh, right. I've seen people take that approach. Yeah, go like Ghost Inspector or something. What was that? Yeah. One of those where you just record clicks and stuff. So there you go. Mm, true. Getting around it. You wouldn't write any tests, but you could record tests. Yeah, I could. It's like a functional testing still. And yeah. yeah. I could live with that. Yeah. I'm also taking that answer. <laughs> yeah. Third and final terrible question. Yeah. Last one is, would you rather... Only get to use Angular 1 forever or have to learn and use a new framework every six months? Hands down, new framework. Angular 1 was my first framework and oh dear God, the nightmares. So yeah, no, I'll take the new. That's how I feel. Yeah, I think we all were scarred for life from that. So yeah, also choosing that. I'm sorry if that's spicy. I know they had good intent and I try to remember this because like Ember, right? 
I'm trying to remember our own intent. They didn't mean to build something terrible, but they did. Yeah. It just happens sometimes. Yeah. There weren't a lot of good alternatives at the time either, so they didn't know better. So Yeah, and I think a lot of people learn from their mistakes. Even they learn from their mistakes in the second version, right? So Mm -hmm. live and learn. Yeah, and then it iterated a ton over the next couple of years and kind of caught up to to everything else. So something to be said for that, I think. Yeah, so you started to talk about how you got into coding a little bit. Do you want to go more into that story? Sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It really was... uh, A few things happened at once, actually. My uncle gave me a computer for high school graduation. He was in tech. He actually puts together Wi-Fi networks at like movie sets and train stations and stuff like that. That's what he does for a living, which I think is pretty cool. Okay. But he gave me a computer and he said, websites are the future. Learn how to write code. And this was 97 when Dreamweaver came out. Uh, And he said, don't use the GUI programs that do it for you, learn actually how to write the code behind it because that's the future. Everything's going to go to the web. And like, he's an original like feminist in my life. So thank you, Uncle Paul. (laughs) And I took it to heart and it became my hobby. I took some time out and joined the Navy because I, I didn't think building websites was serious enough. Like I had this idea that I needed to like change the world or something. But that's really what got me into it. And then I got into CSS because I wanted to edit the theme for my blogger blog. I got into like markup because I was playing Final Fantasy XI at the time and I wanted to write code spellcast mods. So like macro thing, basically fancy macros really for PC gaming. And like it just, what did I want to learn how to do next? I don't know why my brain has made this connection, but it has. I'm good at learning foreign languages. And that kind of translated into me believing I was good at writing code and learning new code languages. Because it's all about what are you trying to say and how do you want to say it? And that's just sort of what got me interested. And then once you're hooked, like once you build that first form and it submits and posts to the server and you can get back the results, you're like, oh, I could do anything, right? (laughs) And that feeling is completely addictive to me. And yeah, so now it's my living. Nice. Yeah, I can definitely relate to being addicted to it. I feel like open source and just like seeing my GitHub graph be more green is very gratifying. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. So I succumbed to the trend of putting that little score on my GitHub readme. And it kind of conglomerates some kind of score between like your pull requests and your uh, commits and how many stars do your repos have, which I think is a terrible metric, but for reasons. Obviously, I work at accessibility, so it's not po- as popular as like, I don't know, Dracula Pro theme or something. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the commit green boxes. Those are nice, but that grade, man, like I have an A plus and like I'm like keeping it. Mm, I see. Yeah. So. I can empathize, yeah. Succumb to the gamification of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm having to work so much in GitLab lately, so I don't get that. Oof. <sighs> I don't get proper credit, you know? <laughs> and it's hosted GitLab, so it's not even... Oh, no. That's the worst. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For so many reasons you don't even know. <laughs> 
but you get to write a lot more YAML. Yeah, but at least it's not TFS. Yeah, I don't have control of the hardware and they're constantly running out of space, image space and Nope. Yeah. The package manager is on hosted hardware, just all the things. Nope. So I get no credit on the internet. I have an F plus. You should build a green box bot mm. where you can just run a script and you keep track of how many commits you've done the day at work and you just run the script that many times to give you your green boxes. Okay. There you go. I like that. I like that. Yeah. They have a, a thing called GitHub Gardener mm-hmm. that just goes through and like commits random commits every day so that you always have commits. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> that is funny. Here I am thinking I'm clever. I don't use it because you'll see I have empty days, of course. But yeah, I don't want to game it necessarily. Empty days are important, though. Yeah, they are. You need to be a good example and show that you take time off and you like have your work life balance like I think Faker.js could have been saved by, well, a better supportive environment. But we developed this very unhealthy culture in web, in tech, where it's like, oh, I have to be a rock star ninja unicorn person who can do all the, all the commits on all the days. It's like, no, show me your empty days, actually. I want to see where you took time off. Yeah, I remember when GitHub got rid of the streaks thing they used to have. Because I remember Robert Jackson had like 4,000 commits a year or something. He still has something like that, but it was every day. Like even Christmas Day had commits. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, <and laughs> Exactly. But then, yeah, they, they turned that off. And he it was like two weeks straight of no commits from him. He was just like rage quit. Like I'm not <laughs> doing anything for like two weeks. <laughs> That's funny, but sad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... We definitely do need to make people aware that like they don't have to work all the time and that it shouldn't be incentivized and glorified to like work every second of every day. Right. But do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> when they put the green box bot or the green box feature up, who first thought I need a green box every day? Why wasn't the first thought I'm going to show my work life balance by showing days where I work a lot and days where I don't work? Mm. I think like the green boxes are just sort of the result or the outcome of the underlying symptoms. I don't think they really caused it though. Those were already there. Yeah. I do wonder what if they weren't green? Hmm. If they were red, would people want them as much? <laughs> yes. There's another thing. OCD maybe. Yeah. <laughs> they want it to be full. Fill the graph. Yeah. Yeah, because somehow you feel penalized, even if you worked that day and you didn't push a commit for whatever reason. Maybe you said, oh, the thing I was working on was garbage and just I needed to go through the exercise and tossed it away or never push the branch or whatever else. I was working locally, but I didn't get commit for working that day because I don't I don't have the credit because I don't have the box. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe micromanagers are are responsible. People are wanting to see visual representation that you did something. Yeah, but even then, like, why did they think to keep a log? What a today I learned. Like, start a today I learned repo and commit every day something you learned that day or something you thought about that day. That's pretty easy. And you could open source it and somebody could watch your journey. Actually, that's a really good idea. I might do that. Hmm. I have a weakness, like most developers, for collecting domains and starting projects. I shipped a website even today. Hmm. Oh, nice. Just on a whim. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you sent me the the list of the domains you had. There are quite a few. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to click that right now. That seems highly necessary. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a domain tracker. It keeps me honest about the number of domains I buy. <laughs> you think if it gets too many, it will be public shame of just collecting too many or something? No, it's not the shame part. It's like, I don't think it should be shame nor praise. I think it should be what it is. And it's just about awareness. So as you can probably tell, like I kind of ascribe to a lot of the principles of Zen Buddhism because it's about awareness and acceptance of what is and things are not good or bad, they just are. But if I have too many projects, too many domains, that's a signal to me to, hey, slow up for a hot minute and think about what you're doing. You're consuming and it seems to be not intentional. There's no outcome. Maybe it wasn't as important to me when I was younger. And as I get older, it's more important. Like my time suddenly is more valuable or I want to maximize my time a lot more. So that, I don't know, it's just something that just, it helps me stay aware of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. There's some great domain names here. www.com. <laughs> 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 What's jumping out at you? Well, I'm just reading www.com.com. .com, .com, yes. <laughs> well, www.dotcomdot.com. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot. <laughs> <dot com. laughs> rotten type tomatoes. Rotten type tomatoes. I like that one. Yeah. Uh, like the story between behind the puffy white cloud. It's good. <laughs> I finally know enough Mel, Melanie developers that we could have our own conference, melconf.com. Anyway, <laughs> yep. all right, I don't have to read them all, but yeah, there's some, there's some funny, clever stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the couple that really stuck out to me, um, I'm definitely not up to date on my shop talk show. So what was the RSS tricks? Were they talking about that? <laughs> yeah. It was Dave's idea to make a site RSS tricks. That's like CSS tricks, but it just helps you like preview your RSS feed and tells you all the information you need to know about RSS feeds because they're always hard and why are they hard and this should be easy. So it's either really easy, like one click or it's super hard and you can't figure it out at all. Yeah. Actually, if you're a shop talk show supporter, you get access to Patreon supporter, you get access to their discord and somebody else in the discord started the repo and I'm supposed to go help on the project and I just haven't done it yet. So a little bit of shame there for me, I guess. <laughs> so someone listening to this eventually can actually go to rssstricks.com and see something. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's the idea. There's a lot of podcasts that I meant to start and then never did. Yeah. Shift left. I'm interested in. Ooh. Yeah. That was based on a conference talk I gave. Mm. I'm going to link it to you because that was a good talk. Perfect. Murder JS is scary sounding. <laughs> well, yes, but also murder JS, a murder of crows. I love crows. Like I have a lot of artwork around my house that's of crows. Okay. And uh, a group of crows is called a murder. Oh. I think it's three or more crows. Yeah. I had no idea that. Two is a manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wonder who decided that, that a group of crows at a certain I don't know. Number was going to be called a murder. Crows are very smart, though. Mm. Like, maybe they actually murdered things. Well, they clean up the murder, right? That's kind of what true. they do. They hang around until the murder's done. And all right, we'll take what we got to take. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 
this is going in a different direction than I intended, but uh, <laughs> I did learn something. So on NHK World Japan, like I have a thing for watching documentaries from NHK World Japan. They just do them really well. They had a whole documentary about crows and I got really interested in them. And they just started reading a bunch of books about crows and how smart they are and everything. Yeah. Next is to get your own murder. <laughs> yeah. When Ember becomes too react, I will fork an older version of Ember that I liked and make it murder JS, I think. Okay. So Robbie has some comments there around that. Oh, mm. I do. What's the tipping point is what I wonder. <laughs> so I'm curious. I mean, honestly, with all of the work I've been putting in trying to update things to Ember 4 and Embroider, we've almost hit the tipping point already for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we were in a sweet spot for a while and like Glimmer was nice, but like, I feel like we didn't really need it. Yes. I could be wrong. No, that's exactly how I feel. I'm used to angle brackets now, but we could have stayed handlebars. I was so productive. Yeah. And all of a sudden I just had to learn how to do everything different. Yeah. And I still don't know how to track stuff right. And I don't find <laughs> with, with this dot set and this dot get, but. <laughs> it's the loud people that get the attention. And there wasn't enough people saying, hey, I'm really happy. I'm really productive. Don't change anything. There were more people saying, People who use React will never use Ember unless we do X, Y, and Z. And unfortunately, I feel like I do feel like it's unfortunate that we succumb to some of that. And I think we're getting even closer with thinking about changing to single file component format. And I totally understand the people who want to do it and why they want to do it. I just I was using a different framework recently and I just was so unproductive. The fact that I can ship an app in a day with Ember. That means something. But now it's more like two days because I have to remember what all the imports are. And I have to do actions correctly. And, you know, I'll get used to it eventually. But, like, there's a lot of cognitive overhead that I didn't used to have because Ember had more magic. Yeah. And I really loved it. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things for me was, like, you know, you can just use Ember CLI and generate everything and be done. And now we're adding Webpack. Like we haven't had Webpack in so long. And I'm just like, um. Do you know how happy I was that I didn't have to ever touch Webpack or think about Webpack or have discussions or arguments about Webpack? And I know conceptually it's not about Webpack. It's about whatever comes next. Right. It's about that you can plug any tool in that you want and we'll make sure Ember does the right thing. But why to have to be Webpack? It's hard to be a catch-all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's going to be painful, at least do roll up or parcel or whatever. Yeah. Have you seen the new parcel CSS tools? Those look pretty cool. I have not. I have not been attracted to new shiny web things. Like I am like, give me the, the stable shit, man. Because you're just trade. Sorry for my language. You're just trading no, one fine. set of problems for another, really, when you go to the new shiny. It's just a different set of problems. It's not no problems. It's just different problems. Right. So like, let me stick to the thing I know. But this new parcel CSS thing looks pretty slick. It might turn your head. It's got my attention a tiny bit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen it. What What is it? What does it do? Oh, let me see. I just like that parcel <laughs> is like low or no config. It's like doing the things that Webpack does without like. It's fast. 
Yeah, it's fast. I also um, experimented some with the SWC uh, minifier, mm. and that's super fast. Really? Next 12 has SWC for its minifier, and it's, yeah, it's pretty great. So how do you like Next? Because I've been really frustrated by it. I like it because it has some guardrails around React. So I like it better than like normal create React app. Plain React. Yeah. Plain React is just a piece of the puzzle. And now you've got a debate over 60 other packages. Yeah. <laughs> and Vercel's made it really easy. They have the platform for it. They're doing it serverless wise. You don't have to think about routers. And I like the API routes actually. So you can basically build a full stack app to, if you're using like an ORM. So I like those things. I don't love hooks. I think they're a little weird. But it's JSX though. Yeah, JSX is whatever. <laughs> hooks are a little bit weird for me, but I guess they take out the complexity of needing like Redux or MobX or whatever flavor of random state management thing. So that's good. So you were saying like Ember is edging towards and trying to like compete in the React crowd. But the problem with that is like that's a very crowded space now. Yeah. Right. So is that really the, you know, the developers you want to get? So number one, no and no and absolutely not. One of the problems that has been frustrating for me is when I interview React developers, I ask them to, okay, so write some markup for me. You know, obviously I care a lot about accessibility. That's my whole job. So can you, when it's rendered to the browser, what should the markup look like for a dropdown? And they can't do it. They can write the JavaScript for it. They can make it into some kind of custom component and explain where they put the click handlers and where they insert the CSS. And I'm just like, can't even keep up with you right now because <laughs> none of this is separate. It's all jumbled together. And yeah, but like produce the markup though. <laughs> like know what the browser does already. You don't need to do it all in JavaScript. The browser gives you lots and that's, sad to me. Like we're losing this whole understanding of the platform that we're building for. What is that? Doesn't seem great. No. People are being trained for a very specific outcome. Yeah. They're being trained to write React because that's what all the jobs are hiring for and they have no idea the rest of it. It's sort of like learning JavaScript as like a jQuery person back in the day. I don't know how to interact with the DOM natively. Yeah. Right. It's the whole thing. You have this sugar on top. And that's when I, I know how to build React apps. I don't know how to build JavaScript apps necessarily or just write markup for the web. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's happening a lot. And that definitely is what happens in these accelerators. Yeah. Yeah. It's even worse when they don't give a lick or talk a bit about accessibility at all. So you're pushing all of these folks out into the market who are expecting well-paid check jobs because that's what they've been told the money is. But really what companies need now, especially with so many companies getting sued, like lawsuits are up something ridiculous, like 500% in the last three years. Like companies are legit getting sued for not having accessible websites. And yeah, a certain percentage of them are like the drive-by ambulance chasers. Right. But some of them are legit and they're going to end up being on the hook for millions of dollars because, because boot camps aren't turning out accessible. You know, developers who know how to write accessible things, that seems bad. Yeah, it's not part of the toolbox, 100%. The toolbox is to go and, you know, win in these interviews. Yeah. And so that's the other side of the coin, though, that people aren't being pushed for this kind of skill. 
or being educated in that kind of skill. Yeah. Right. Like what is the bare minimum? What could you get in an accelerator that includes the basics of accessibility? I think I'm even probably naive to what that would be. I think basic things are just, you know, you just have to care enough to put little things on. Like you can start small. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be 100% perfect. But like just having things like, for example, tabbing in the right order. Right. Yeah. Is like a thing that's broken on lots of stuff. Oh, yeah. So I think there's some things we could do. And, and I don't even think it has to be about caring. I think caring is good and we should develop the caring skill set. But I'd rather our tools get better. So I spent, a, I don't know, a year or so working on Ember Templatelint. So while you're writing your code, you'll get the feedback you're doing something that's not accessible. We need more of that. We need more of that real-time feedback. Hey, you're not, this is not going to go well. But there's things like when I see a very seasoned developer use an H3 because they don't like the size of an H1. <laughs> H1 to H6, like they need to be in order. Like think of a old Word document where you did an outline. Like that's how it should work. Or don't nest interactive elements. If we just did that one thing, if I had to say, is there one thing we could do? And it's don't nest interactive elements. Because you're creating a blocker to someone using your platform. If they can only access it with a keyboard... And the keyboard can't get to the nested interactive element. It doesn't know how to do that. Then you've just stopped them from logging into their bank account or paying their utility bill or accessing their education course. So that's the one thing I would say, like, do that first. That's definitely one that I've been guilty of. And I think my question there is like, I don't have a great example, but let's say your whole page has like a click handler for like some reason, right? And then you want to put like a button inside it. What's the correct way to do something like that? I love that you asked that because this is the number one question I get asked in the Ember accessibility channel. And there is a great example of interactive cards. Let's see, accessible interactive cards. And it's about making the click area bigger with CSS. So you're keeping your DOM structure correct, but you're making the click area bigger. Ah, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Makes sense. And sometimes that's the answer. Other times it's, you no, you're overthinking, you're over-engineering it. Like, stop that. <laughs> if you want to figure out like, what am I doing wrong here? How can I make this more accessible? The first thing you should reach for in your toolbox is, can I make this interface more simple? And a lot of developers will say, well, that's a designer's job, or I don't have power to do that. The designer has that. No, you're a grown adult, and you can go have a conversation with the designer. So gently, lovingly, but with all the sternness of the older sister who will tell you when you're wrong, go talk to the designer. Go ask them, hey, this is turning out to be really complex, and I have some concerns. Can we make this simpler? Sometimes the answer is no, but most of the time in my experience, the answer has been sure. Let's work on it. So that's my hot take. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, everyone is generally usually open to changing things around, especially if it gets you a better outcome. So don't be afraid to to bring stuff like that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about tech stuff. 
Let's get a little bit into some whatnot here. <laughs> Mentioned that you are into some video games. What have you been playing? Oh, it depends on the day. I've been playing a gotcha game lately. I'm sorry to admit this, but not sorry because it's really fun. I've been playing Genshin Impact. So I have a streaming Twitter or a Twitter account that just tracks my gaming and sometimes I'll stream. But the game, the graphics are really pretty. And I like the game mechanics because it has elemental influences and elemental magic in it. My first like video game love, like beyond Snake and Pong, right? Like the first video game <laughs> I really got into was Final Fantasy XI. That's actually how I met my husband. Mm. I was a white mage. He was a ninja. It was meant to be. <laughs> but yeah, I played 14. I play off and on Final Fantasy 14. Of course, we played through all the Final Fantasy games because when you're a couple who meets in Final Fantasy 11, then you proceed to play all the games together. Right. Yeah. I couldn't finish eight, but nine was super fun. And of course, seven is epic. But then I just kind of like little games like Stardew Valley or Minecraft or kind of world building kind of games. I need some complexity because my mind will say, you're wasting time. You could be writing more code. <laughs> <laughs> so I need some complexity, but I need not so much as Final Fantasy XI anymore. Like I'm kind of a little bit past that era. I played through The Last Campfire because the character's name is Ember. Mm. And that was just an adorable game and it had a sweet story and I finished it in like two days and like I like those kind of games, but I just don't have it in me for an MMORPG anymore. I don't think there's too much grind there. Yeah, they take too much time, but like I'm somewhat on the same page, I think, of where the game has to feel a little bit like work or I yeah. feel like it's not worth my time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it has to feel like I'm basically addicted to having a job and completing a task. So that's why I like open source <laughs> and I like, I like, you know, games like that, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so wait, yeah. Are you playing a job simulator on uh, Oculus? Is that a game? It's a game. Apparently <laughs> my brother serious? has it and it's like, well, so it is an office situation with cubicles and stuff, but I guess like robots have kind of taken over and like they're playing a bunch of the roles i'm not really sure i didn't play it but this is what i heard secondhand oh my god so i'm like why would i don't understand why you'd play that you could just like walk around and go to your cubicle and go to work yeah you could just go to work job simulator yeah if you're missing the cubicle if you're gonna play vr play like what's that one with the Beat Saber or something? Mm -hmm. I've heard this is good, but my brother doesn't want to play it. We play Echo VR together. Ooh. And that is pretty fun. Yeah, Echo is cool. It's like zero gravity, but then you have a jetpack thing and you throw this disc back and forth and then oh. you're trying to throw it through a goal and you can punch people. It's very fun. <gasps> yeah. Oh, this could be therapeutic. Mm -hmm. It's good. <laughs> and then we do like a bunch of rec room games, like just disc golf or whatever, but... Beat Saber is pretty fun. It makes me feel like more coordinated than I actually am in real life. Okay. I'll get into this. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. I don't know. Fighting Darth Vader was like a workout. So I, that one was fun and interesting, but it was like, yeah, I'm sweating. My son likes that. I have a 15 year old and he really likes those kinds of games. There's another one he plays where he has to fight like waves of robots. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just going to get my Peloton. If I want to work out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of like zombie shooting ones. And I'm like, 
why are there 64 different games where you shoot zombies? I don't want to do that. Nope. I don't want to do it on the first. Oh, yeah, the horror ones. There's like a Blair Witch game. And I'm like, nope, mm-hmm. that's a hard no in VR. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard no. I'm going to have nightmares just thinking about the fact that that <laughs> exists in real life. <laughs> yeah. I always need like little bites in games because I'll have like, oh, I've got an hour tonight to play or something like that. So I have the Oculus. That's kind of fun doing some of those yeah. things. And I have Stadia, which is pretty cool because you can go. Oh, has it gotten better? It's been pretty good so far for me. Oh. I only have a couple of games, but it's nice to like. So when I bought it or when I got like one of the games, they sent me like a free Chromecast Ultra or whatever it was. So I set that out on the TV, but then I have a controller also for like if I want to do the laptop or I like being able to like the flexibility there. Oh, I'm going to play games. Wife is watching a show. I'll just do it on my laptop. Oh, everybody's in bed. Now I have the TV, that kind of thing. It's pretty nice. That's kind of nice. And it's obviously way cheaper than having a console. Yeah. Does it pick back up easily where you were on the other device? It does. Yeah, it's pretty good. Huh. So those things are good. You have to have a really good internet connection. So I've, I've tried yeah. it a couple of times with not great internet. And then it's like terrible. Okay. The way that it has to like send your, like your button push there and back and all that kind of funny stuff. So I've had like, oh, there's not good internet. Okay. This isn't going to work. This is going to be like a second delay. Yeah. Yeah. But in general, I've been pretty happy with it. That's good to know. I heard it really sucked when it first came out. So I didn't try it, which now that I think about it, I should give it a go because when Ember first came out, I read in a magazine that it wasn't good for mobile development, so I didn't try it. And then it was years later, and I did try it, and I liked it. So maybe I should, that's my lesson, give Stadia a second <laughs> chance. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Try it out. See, I mean, it's pretty low bar to get involved because they have inexpensive games, or you can, like, do the trial. I think you get, like, a month of pro free. So then there's free games. That's cool. Yeah. I can't try it because I don't have internet, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's because you have a farm you have to mow. Yeah. I have oh. nine megabits internet. Super slow. Nine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's at the office now, so. I have 900. How do you exist? Yeah, I went I went from gigabit to nine. Oh, my God. It's not great, but yeah, so I'm at the office right now, and I have 500 here. Okay. So okay. That's how I exist. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Don't be home. <laughs> yeah. You have to move all your gaming equipment to the office. Too. Mm, yeah. Caitlin would love if I just didn't ever come home. And, <laughs> and play no, games she wouldn't. Here. You're like, I'm I'm working. <laughs> yeah. Super busy today. I'll be home later. <laughs> Wait, does she listen to the podcast? Did you just tell on yourself? She hasn't yet. She keeps okay. saying she should start, but. Uh, okay. You're safe then. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I wouldn't play games at the office. That's funny. Yeah, because then that's just a whole other rabbit hole. You need the separation, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we I've survived the pandemic, is I have zones. My apartment is now zones. You only eat at the table. You only do work at the desk. You only watch TV at the couch kind of thing. It's reasonable. That's a good idea, because I feel like I'm very guilty of, like, I have my laptop. I can work everywhere. And then it's hard to turn it off. It's like, oh, let me just do a little bit more. (laughs) It'll kill you. Yeah. Especially in the pandemic. Like I was fine when I could work for three days, but then I could go somewhere and like have a staycation or walk by the lake or not be afraid. I'm going to catch a virus that might kill me. Like those were the days. So now it's like routines and rituals and you stick to them and 
survive. But oh my god, I want to go outside again. I want to Ember Comp again so I can see oh, people. Yeah. And those like are so exhausting for me. Like I'm kind of an introvert in real life. So I love going to them, but then I'll sleep for like a month after. <laughs> but I genuinely cannot wait until we have another in-person Ember Comp. That will be so amazing. Yeah, I'm guessing I haven't even checked. Is is there a one happening this year at all? So official announcement pending. So this, you know, don't take this as gospel truth. But from what I understand, we're going to do a one day Ember Comp online on April 19th. Okay. The speakers are being invited now and just kind of doing something smaller. We were going to do some kind of hybrid event, but then Omicron mm-hmm. kind of shut everything down again. But there's some, uh, we're going to have Ember Camp in Chicago as a virtual event, and we're planning some fun watch party stuff. So, regional watch party kind of things. So, keep an eye out for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Hot, another hot take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready for anything where we can see people again. But my wife is pregnant right now, so I'm not seeing anyone or doing anything. Yeah. Stay in your bubble. Yeah. Better for the short term, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Figuring out the new normal, man. What does that look like? What does that mean for open source? Yeah. But we'll get there. I'm hopeful that we'll get there. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's not like this forever, but it can't be, right? Like something will change. Well, either we'll all die or this will go away. <laughs> like, that would qualify as change, I think. Yes, there will be some outcome. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yep. Hopefully it's not that one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll all go crazy and run outside. I'm sure the people that lived through the Spanish flu felt that it, this will never end. We're all going to die, you know? Yeah. And we have technology. Yes, we do. <laughs> Which, has that been better or worse? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think technology has made a lot of things a lot worse, honestly. Like if you didn't have social media, you could probably just get everyone to get vaccinated and be done. No one could like spew like, oh, it's fake and all this stuff online and whatever. And yeah, the speed of sharing of news and the lack of vetting that goes into that. Right. Right. Qualifying as a journalist or qualifying as someone who can just collect information and share it. That you can make money by sharing factually inaccurate news, that's what harms us. I don't think it's the tech that harmed us. I think it's our, we didn't think it through all the way. And that's where we end up when we're not like inclusive when we build our teams. Because we need someone on the team to say, hey, what if some college students in Eastern Europe decide that they wanna make money by posting fake news? They made so much money by f- posting false stories about Hillary Clinton and Trump and the election and stuff. And like, I don't want to say they got away with it, but they got away with Like we didn't build anything in to stop it because we just assumed people wouldn't do that. And so you have this whole older generation of folks who the news is gospel. Mm, right. They trust their news anchors. So you have all these older folks who are just like, the world is suddenly horrible and what happened? Mm not surprised but i'm sad by it like we no so but now we know better and it's our job to do better will we do better is the question maybe yeah we'll see yeah 
We can try. We're going to start by just not embedding an interactive element into another interactive element. Yes. <laughs> I think that's, that's a good place to start. Yeah. Start where you are. That's the best place to start. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah. We definitely have those in Swatch is why I was asking about that question. <laughs> so we're, we're going to go fix those. That's a yeah, great God. idea. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're getting towards the end here. I mean, we've kind of talked about some things you're passionate about and stuff, but is there anything specific you would like to plug or like projects you're working on, causes you care about, you know, things you want the world to know before we wrap up here? Yes. I am a board member for Vets Who Code, which is an organization that helps veterans learn how to write code and transition to careers in tech after military service. I absolutely extremely encourage everyone to not only donate, but like hire these veterans. They have a unmitigated work ethic that is rarely matched outside of the military. And there's a lot of care. Military veterans really like working on things they care about and causes, and that makes for a really great combination. So please visit Vetsu Code on the web and find veterans to hire. It'll be worth it. I absolutely promise you. All right. Cool. Yeah. I can endorse that people with work ethics like that are the people you want for sure. Like I always say that, you know, there's the people that are the best coders or like the people that are really focused and like, you know, want to get a thing done. So yeah. Um, agree with that. And, and yeah, thanks again for, for coming on and hanging out with us for a little while. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Yeah, you're welcome. Cheers. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.